What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Darius Dale is the founder and CEO of 42 Macro, the leading macro risk management advisor. In this conversation, we talk about what's going on in the macro economy, what's happening in the financial markets, how Darius is looking at various metrics, and also what you at home should be thinking about as you invest your capital. I really enjoyed this conversation with Darius, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Pipe. Crypto is all about giving the power back to the people, and our sponsor, Pipe, is doing that in a big way. Pipe is the world's first trading platform that allows you to trade recurring revenue streams for upfront capital. And with Pipe's new API, companies with recurring revenue can build seamless embedded financing options into their platforms. One of the most interesting uses for Pipe's new API right now is Compass Mining's Mine Now, Pay Later, which powers payment plans on Bitcoin mining hardware so more miners can start or scale with a smaller upfront investment. Whether you're looking for mining hardware or scaling any business with recurring revenue, check out Pipe to access growth capital with no loans, no dilution, no restrictive covenants or warrants, just growth on your terms. And right now, Pomp Podcast listeners can access tens of thousands of dollars, even millions, fee-free for 12 months. Whether you are a Bitcoin mining company looking to enable financing for your customers or a SaaS, DTC, or any business that has recurring revenue, sign up at pipe.com slash pomp. Again, pipe.com slash pomp to start trading today. Today's episode is brought to you by Exodus, the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet. They offer beautiful, user-friendly blockchain products that sync across all of your devices, making it easier to send, receive, and exchange over 150 or more crypto assets in one place. And with world-class customer service available to you 24-7, Exodus always has your back. But the fun doesn't stop with staking and trading. They recently launched a new NFT marketplace where you can buy and sell your favorite NFTs on the Solana network. By partnering with the popular NFT platform Magic Eden, they're offering the full Monty on verified collections with more added every single day. Ready to check it out for yourself? Run, don't walk, over to exodus.com slash pomp for your free download today. Again, if you want the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet, go to exodus.com slash pomp today. Today's episode is sponsored by Abra. They're based in California and they're backed by top VC firms. Abra is an all-in-one, simple, secure app that allows you to trade over 110 cryptocurrencies, Get 0% interest loans using your crypto as collateral and earn interest with up to 13% APY on stablecoins and 7.15% APY on Bitcoin. You can join nearly 2 million users by downloading Abra from the Google Play or Apple App Store. If you download the app today, you will get $15 in free crypto once you fund your account. You came, you invested, now conquer. Abra, conquer crypto. Go check it out today. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Yeah, they don't. Have wait, they don't wait have say it. it again. Are they allowed to like or dislike things the yeah. government does in China? Are they allowed just, to or just put your, are they allowed to nod like your head and keep moving? 
No, nah, I, th- I think that, uh, by the way, Darius is here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always here, by the way. You just don't see me. <laughs> In case anyone didn't know, Darius is here. Uh, they just moved the TV out of the way. Uh, one, one of, the, uh, one of the, uh, the big things that I think uh, people don't really understand about the whole China thing is uh, you may not know. Like, uh, so th- I'm not an expert. Let me first just throw that out there. I'm not an expert on this. But there's these octopus cards, uh, which allow you access to the uh, kind of public transportation, whatever. Um, and these octopus cards during the Hong Kong protest, yeah, all of a that. sudden they started to be used as surveillance tool Absolutely. because what they were saying is, oh, why did you get on the train at that station and then get off at the one right next to the protest? 100%. You must have been going to the protest. We're going to come after you. We're going to do something with the social credit system, like all these issues. Totally. So I remember during that protest, there was incredible lines because what people were doing is they were going into the machines, they were getting cash. And then they were using that to pay so that they didn't have to use the card that couldn't be trade, right? Untraceable payments. And yeah, so yeah. you start thinking about this stuff and it's like, okay, that sounds kind of crazy. Like that only happens in an authoritarian government situation. <laughs> oh, wait, Canada just did the same shit. If you yeah. went to the protest and you participated and they were freezing your bank accounts, they were, you know, coming after you with financial sanctions, all this stuff. And so like in the world, I don't think a lot of people are like, oh, China and Canada, those are run by similar people. In almost every conversation, you'd be like, those are very different. The similarity, though, is your actions tied to your financial transactions became a target for the government. Now, take it a step further, which people don't like when I say it, but if you just happen to win the ovarian lottery and be born in Russia, (laughs) you kicked out. Right? Just yeah. because you literally were born on a piece of land with an imaginary line around it and a flag that everyone sits and looks at in the classroom. Yeah, totally. And so you start to look at it. Now, again, there's more complexity to it than just that. But, again, where you are born ends up putting you in a situation. If you participate in a protest, if you use a specific type of transaction, like all that stuff ends up being like, damn, we're heading in a direction. Like, that don't sound good. What's the bull case for all this? Like, you guys obviously talk to a lot of people a lot more about these topics than I do. Is there someone in support of these ideas? Oh, yeah. Like, if you wear a suit and tie, got a cologne and a fake Rolex, and you walk into the uh, Washington, D.C. office, you love this shit. Uh, right? Think about this. I get to now send money cheaper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have Leon Cooperman or Ken Langone going on uh, CNBC being like, I'm a billionaire. Why did I get a $1,200 stimulus check? Well, it's because yeah. you didn't show that you actually made a billion dollars last year. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. had losses. Yeah. Uh, so like that you end up getting hopefully easier uh, to get money in the hands of people in times of emergency, like all that type of stuff. Uh, second is I think you have a whole argument around uh, the rails are better. So if I can drop the cost for people to actually use this stuff, uh, there'd be more transactions, more velocity of money. It ends up being better for the average person, whatever. And then the third thing is uh, I think that there uh, is a desire to be seen as innovative. Mm-hmm. So not actually that's be what innovative. It is. It's like, oh, everyone else yeah. is going to do it. We have to be early because we're innovative. I think that's what it is too. But it doesn't change the monetary policy. Like there's still going to be 8% inflation, whether it's a physical dollar or an electronic Q-SIP or a digital token. It's still 8% because y'all print monetary policy out. way worse. This is yeah, how monetary policy yeah, yeah. currently is what yeah. works. Fed tells market participants that they're going to do something. Market participants price that into money markets and interest rates and all across the sovereign debt curves and particularly money markets. And then the rest of the financial markets price off of that. 
that at least there's smart people in that sort of chain of command that are you know taking risk and you know have capital allocation and and real consequences for making poor investment decisions. If you just allow it to just go back to the entire monetary policy, back to that you know round table in the Eccles building, then to me that's a significantly worse outcome than where we are today, which is a completely unmitigated disaster. So I'm going to take it one step further. There's three things that are like real scary stuff. Monetary policy right now. 12 people, FOMC, they go into a little conference room. They get horrible data fed to them by all of their consultants and their staff. Uh, they do the best they can with bad data, and they come out and they usually make decisions that uh, short-term mitigation of pain, long-term consequences, and uh, that's the way that this works. Fine. It's called smoothing, by the way. Correct. Uh, uh, when you think about that, when they make that decision, and literally Jerome Powell, whoever the chairman of the Federal Reserve is, they stand in the, uh, up at the conference, uh, press conference, and people are trying to guess what's he going to do, raise rates, not raise rates, whatever. That is a one-size-fits-all monetary policy. Yeah. So you, me, them, everybody else in the country and around the world that hold dollars, all are subject to the same monetary policy. Exactly. Well, when they digitize this, now you get a different monetary policy than I get. So- in the most positive light as you could possibly have, oh, you're in a dire financial position. What we're going to do is we're going to give you a lower inflation level. We're going to give you cheaper access to capital because you're going to get a personalized interest rate versus somebody who is wealthy or in a good financial position. Maybe we will smooth it by giving them higher inflation or giving them a higher cost of capital. And so you start to play this game of personalized monetary policy. Everything else in your life is personalized. Your music playlist, your search results, yeah. literally the maps when you go and use Google Maps. Yeah. Your monetary policy is going to get personalized as well. Now, the negative, worst, nastiest view of it, Darius, you ate too much McDonald's this week. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> your ass ate too much candy. And John, you've been eating healthy. So guess what? Joe and Darius, you guys, we're going to jack your inflation level up. We're going to give you the highest cost of capital because you're doing things that are negative towards uh, society. You're leading to obesity, blah, 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 all this stuff. John, you're amazing. We're going to drop everything for you and make it the most attractive monetary Well, they could possible. even bar you from going to those places, right? You're we haven't even got there yeah, yet. Yeah. We're just talking about the monetary policy. Wow, yeah. yeah. Don't even yeah. think about going there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, so that's problem number one. It's personalized monetary policy. Yeah. Second thing, expiration of money. So China's already testing this. We have this in the United States already. Uh, EBT cards, they give it to you. They tell you what you can spend it on. Mm-hmm. has to be unprepared food, not prepared food, things like that. Yep. If you, most people don't know this, but if you get an EBT card and you save, so you don't spend all, let's say it's 500 bucks. 12 months later, if you have not spent the money from that first uh, uh, card, mm-hmm. it disappears. Yep. So you have a 12 month window. Now 12 months, most people are like, okay, 12 months, like not the craziest thing in the world, whatever. Well, if I give you the CBDC, I now can make the money expire on a certain time frame. So in China, oh, we're going to give stimulus. The point of giving the stimulus is for you to go spend it, not for you to go and save it. And so you have two weeks to spend the money. Imagine if during the pandemic they said, okay, $1,200 checks, everyone gets it. You have two weeks to spend the money. If you don't spend it, it expires. Everyone would spend it. Can't save it, can't invest it, can't do any of that. No, it's just there's rails. You got to spend it on the things we told you to. If you don't, it's done. Like you get in a weird, crazy world. And then lastly, third point is uh, just no. Like it just – CBDC declined. <laughs> declined. You cannot go to the movies. Or <laughs> yo fat ass got to walk 
to walk to McDonald's. Because, yeah, because <laughs> you've been eating too much food. What like, you know I mean? Like you can get like really, really egregious with it. But, like that's the stuff that like I don't trust that these people are not going to go there in those in, uh, situations. But, but in a weird world, this this drives much more people towards Bitcoin, right? So yeah, don't you agree? Right? Doesn't this uh, ultimately set them up for failure when it comes to people leaving? Whether it's the digital currency, the U.S. dollar, whatever it is, but going towards a solution like Bitcoin, I don't know. What do you think? Hundred percent, it does. I mean, yeah. What's well, the alternative? I mean, yeah. if you have a government, an entity that could just take away all your life savings, I mean, obviously they wouldn't do that. You certainly wouldn't expect a country like the U.S. to do that or be able to even pass laws that can get you to that point. But let's take this. You know, we got to play. We got to go to the extremes to really make points here. If you know you had an economy like that, that's very similar to like what you experience in third world countries. With, you know, physical goods, confiscation, obviously banks closing and things of that nature. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the bull case for digital assets is becoming very clear by the day, um, you know, for, for and so, you know, if you're not you know, it, to me, it's like it's a no it's a no brainer. But it's it, when you make these commentaries and, and you know, I've, I've used to be in the camp that central bank digital currency was actually a good thing because I for all the reasons you just described in terms of, you know, being able to enact more thoughtful monetary policy right now, it's a complete shit show. Um, but in the reality is, you know, we're not, it's not just monetary policy. It's all kinds of, what it really does is expand the scope of policy, the big P Correct. word. That's all it really does. Which, as you can see from that standpoint, oh, we're going to have more tools. If we have more tools, we can better address, we can better intervene in the market. Totally. We can better do all. So like the pro argument sounds amazing, but it's yeah. kind of like the like MMT stuff, right? It's like, wait, I get free money? Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Politicians, how exactly do I get elected? Like, I'm going to give you free money. That's Everyone's exactly like, yeah. It's kind of like in high school when the student government, you know, thing gets uh, done. What hand does the candy. winner always do? They hand out candy. Hand out candy. Always. Yeah. They bribe you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Like, that is what politicians are starting to do. It's like, oh, we're going to give you a trillion here, a trillion there. I saw a clip uh, recently. Somebody had one of the White House spokespeople talking, and they were like, uh, yeah, we need, you know, there's a bill or something with uh, asking for more money. And uh, a reporter was like, <laughs> you had trillions from COVID uh, relief. Where'd it go? Like, you guys are out of money. You need more money now? Need more money, yeah. And, and then, like, what an he, like, asked again. He's like, but, like, where did the trillions go? <laughs> if he was smart, he'd be like, we gave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, you know, people got all upset, whatever. But, like, I, I think that's part of this is uh, you, you, you then get the surveillance stuff, mm -hmm. right? It, which uh, is, is, I don't know. What Darius, a, how would countries around the world perceive the U.S. if we issued a CBDC? I think the Western societies would definitely follow our lead on that. Um, you know, there's just sort of, you know, I want to I would call like the dot. There's a, someone smarter than me, uh, hedge fund manager, I'm blanking on the name, but they kind of created this, per this persona, the Davos man, the, the global man, the, the, you know, the, the institutional person, you know, the, that person. And I think, you know, pretty much every central banker in Western society is, is very connected to that community. They're in that part of that community. They're very key part of that community. And so if we if we adopted a central bank digital currency, it'll be cheered, it'll be celebrated, it'll be, you know, further adopted by all the Western nations. And for probably for an extended period of time, it'll be a great thing. Right? Like the benefits will come sooner than the than the than the costs. Um, and that's kind of the the issue with a lot of these types of things, which is, you know, we give you free money, we give you all this stuff, but guess what? A year and a half later, we have the worst inflation we've seen in 40 years. And everybody's out there hurting and struggling. And oh by the way, all that free money's gone. And it's getting eaten, up, eaten alive by inflation, by rental increases, by, you know, food cost increases, by transportation cost increases. So that, I think it'll be very similar to that, which is, yeah, this is great. On the way, it's not great. On the way, it's getting worse. Uh, well, how do we get, what's the out? So the only way I think they could probably do this well, and what I mean by well is something that's acceptable to, the, you know, four or five guys in this, in this room, 
which is you'd have to sort of, you know, I think you'd have to amend the Constitution to, to account for the potential uh, overreach of government into society uh, as a function of, of being able to sort of regulate the big P uh, at a more, you know, kind of Th- This is clip. why a lot of these politicians, there's Emmer, there's uh, uh, Lummis, Cruz, a, a bunch of them. I'm going to yeah. not be able to name all of them, but uh, a Please bunch don't. of them <laughs> want to uh, uh, either prevent the Federal Reserve from doing this and issuing it directly to the individuals, uh, or what they want is uh, they want, a guarantee that it'll be permissionless and basically preserve all the aspects of, of cash, cash around the, the privacy, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, hard to see a path, how we get there. We, we should, right. There's no chance. Why would a central bank go through all the problems of issuing a digital, digital currency if they don't get all the goodies? Yes. That's, that's like, yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. It, it's, uh, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, we've got a, a, a chart from you, uh, that Couple. you sent over the, uh, the Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah. I finally uh, broke out the bullish that uh, we were talking about. All right, last let's, week. let's get into it, baby. I told you we had a window of opportunity here. Um, you know, we, we still, like I said, uh, we have this window of opportunity between now and let's call it May or June where the economy is still hanging in there. Um, and growth's not decelerating fast enough to catalyze like a breakdown, um, in risk asset prices. And in the context of this window, you know, the next chart actually is the Bitcoin theorem chart. It's pretty obvious. Uh, the next chart, which I show um, the financial conditions. Um, and actually, <laughs> viral tweet yesterday, which I think is pretty funny, which came from a hilarious conversation I had with my good friends over the weekend, which is we still are, like we're all talking about tighter policy and quantitative tightening and rate hikes and stuff. But the reality is the Fed's only done one rate hike. The Fed's balance sheet is still, you know, eight, nine trillion dollars. And guess what? As a function of those two things, we still have booty models on TikTok giving financial advice, you know, and then so that with the red line in that chart shows is uh, the Goldman Sachs financial conditions index. So it's like the in, it's like the VIX. So when the financial conditions are really loose, the chart, the price of the red line is low. When the financial conditions are tight, it's like the VIX, you know, goes up when things are getting worse. Financial conditions are tightening right now at the today. We are as loose from a financial conditions perspective as we were or more loose rather than we were at the peak of the tech bubble, the dot com bubble. The peak of the dot com. We are That's more wild. loose today. That is wild. That is wild. Like imagine like back in 2000, I mean, we wouldn't have had TikTok, but you would have had like <laughs> Wall Street Journal ads with like booty models to pitch in like tech stocks. So that's that's exactly where we were. We didn't even have that back then. So this is what this I'm kind of making a joke with the, the booty models, but it's you know <laughs> it, it is what it's a microcosm of where we are today in society, where we are today in policy. And so until we sort of really start to drain that liquidity, you know, hike rates at a, at a more expeditious pace, you know, it's very unlikely that we see you know new lows and things like crypto and digital assets. In fact, it's probably likely that we could you know see some some highs here. But will we get back to the prior all time highs? Put a gun to my head, I'd probably say no. I don't think the window of time is long enough for that, um, but I certainly and think- And just relative to how fast we start hiking rates aggressively? Yeah, like, yeah, this is a one to two month window at best. You know, it could yeah. be shorter depending on what happens with and Russia you don't and think that there's an opportunity for them to continue to increase in price in the face of that? It's, yeah, so there's two countervailing forces, right? There's the, holy crap, this whole thing is, is, is it, everything, the, the, the long-term secular bull case for Bitcoin has, it's all happening right now. Like everything Satoshi's been saying since day one and every Bitcoin bull who's been accumulated over the last decade plus is now seeing the, the, the bull case play out in real time. And it's a lot easier to sell it to somebody else who has not participated in the asset class. So there's that, that fundamental flow. Um, there's, but the, on the other, the other side of it, you still have 
you know, a decent amount of people who bought Bitcoin and either are institutional or people who have overly allocated to, you know, other risk assets and are, are feeling pain. So it's, it's, you have these two massive forces. Uh, my man, Jim Carson, um, has been using this word. I think it's a perfect word to describe what's happening in financial markets and in the economy this year, which is le leptocurtic. You know, you have these sort of massive fat tail distributions. You have these big forces on either sides of the tails that are really, you know, pumping up against each other. And, you know, we had a big, you know, kind of slip down in asset prices when the Fed sort of start the signal that they were going to reprice uh, monetary policy in January. Then we had another slip down in February with, um, you know, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Then we had a massive slip up as a function of, you know, one, it, we didn't fall off a cliff from growth terms. We didn't um, go to World War III. And so you're having all this massive two-way volatility. And so I think that's what's likely, that's what's been happening in, in, in crypto markets really since they uh, bottomed in, early, in late January. And it could continue to happen, but I just think the window of time for now is, is positive enough for the, the bull case to win for a little bit. And how do you think about it when it comes to institutions versus retail, right? Because if we get into a recession, obviously retail, they need money. They need to access that capital, right? Bingo. They, they, yeah, they, they can't last Liquidity. within, they can't hold it, right? Uh, but institutions potentially could, even in the face of rising rates or whatever it is, depending on kind of what catalyst we see. If we see a positive catalyst, are they able to stay in there and be able to to see the price raise or institutions, are they going to drop out also, you think? No, see, the problem with most institutions so any 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 legitimate hedge fund has you know generally strict risk risk parameters. Yeah, like you can't even really be a hedge fund these days without having very strict risk parameters. And most risk systems are, are, are volatility is kind of the central uh, component of, of risk. A measurement of risk VAR is kind of the most popular uh, value at risk is the most popular framework. But there's other frameworks. You know, I know Citadel uses a different framework. Um, if we did got into anything that looked like a recession, or more importantly, it's not even the recession because generally speaking, risk assets bottom in recession. It's the path to recession. It's going from economy slowing to oh no wait this could be a recession. That's the that's the window where you get the most pain. Um, and so on that path, it's very unlikely that an institution will be able to maintain the same size exposure to a high beta risk asset because at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, other high beta risk assets are going down in price. And from a correlation perspective, that correlation is going to drag down uh, Bitcoin and other um, assets. And even if it's uncorrelated. You know, just the sheer fact that you got to take down risk broadly means you got to sell everything systematically just to reduce your, your the size of your portfolio. And you don't think we're on that path? Like in my mind, right? It's pretty clear that we're probably on the path towards yeah, a recession, we're on that path. right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but we haven't yeah. seen. I mean, we've seen yeah. some sell off, right? But we haven't seen total yeah. destruction bottoming out that you would imagine, right? Exactly. And this is the great great question. So that that to me is like the trying to add some calendar to this, because to me that that's the name of the game in, in social finance is understanding like the, the actual catalyst and when things should happen. So you can actually hedge appropriately in both directions. Um, we are not going to be going, you know, remember I said that we had the window where it's like, okay, growth slowing, we're below trend. And if we keep slowing recessions, it's going to go from a 50% probability, something higher than 50. That to me, that window is probably Q1 of next year. Okay. Like, like we're, uh, has this changed if you got guys like Do Kwan in the market buying billions of dollars of Bitcoin? Like how much of the macro gets overridden by market structure and the individual asset versus it flips? And like, it doesn't matter what's happening in the market. It's the macro. Depends on what window you're in. Right now we're in a window where that could overwhelm prices mm -hmm. to the upside. Mm -hmm. I think if we were in Q1 of next year, it would, bury, it would get overwhelmed by everybody else selling. And so to me, um, the, markets, the markets have choices, right? So 
you know, that's where I think the economy is likely to be. I'm speaking to the U.S. economy here. Europe's probably a quarter behind. Um, you know, that's where the economy is likely to be in that particular time frame. So asset markets can price that in sooner or later. It's never, you're typically never more than one to two, at most three months ahead of those types of catalysts. So let's call it Q4 of this year. You're probably likely to see enough pain to, to you know, to, to really spook investors, both institutionally and retail, to kind of demand liquidity. Um, and more importantly, I think what's most likely to happen is that demand for liquidity is, is going to spook the Fed out of tightening us into a recession. We, like the Fed, there, we still have time to avoid the recession if the Fed doesn't do what it's already told us it's going to do. The problem is if they just do what they're going to tell us to do, they're going to be doing it for way too long. And by the time we get into the first part of next year, it'll be too late. So I want to switch gears for a second. For sure, let's uh, do it. We've been talking about Bitcoin and crypto. I'm going to throw a curveball and just get your let's thoughts. Go, let's go. Because uh, I just saw this recently. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I can't hit a curveball for shit. Don't, home, don't even look at me. <laughs> the new home sale price yep. in the United States is up 25%, 25%. over the last year. And yeah. it just today crossed and hit $511,000. Median. Like two weeks ago, it was a big deal because it crossed 500000 yeah. It's $11,000 increase in a matter of weeks. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is going on? Those not, well, there's a lot of things going on in the housing market, but one, there's obviously not enough supply. Um, you know, for whatever reason, I, I can't, you can't tell you why, but it's very probably for the same reasons that the, uh, the, the, the energy uh, the sort of um, the EMPs, the energy uh, producers won't drill. You know, they just refuse to respond to supply. And maybe they're saying, maybe it's a tacit admission that they themselves don't believe in the sustainability of prices. Um, now, generally speaking, you don't tend to have, and I, this is a very famous last words, you don't tend to have nationwide declines in home prices, which I think is what Bernanke said right before the financial crisis. <laughs> so I'm borrowing a quote for him. So um, it's a little bit, you know, the the, the lending standards, um, you know, in today's housing bubble are extremely different than they were back in 2003, 2004, 2005. And so, you know, you certainly, lending standards and products, you know, the, you know, adjustable rate mortgages, all that kind of stuff, no, no uh, income verification loans. We don't have that stuff now. So the probability that we have a housing burst uh, for this bubble is low. But what is likely to happen is you're just going to price people out of the market if you haven't already. And eventually you're just going to have a lot of inventory that does not move and home builders not responding to the demand fast enough. So what's that going to do? It's going to create a massive sort of secondary wave that we're already experiencing uh, that we're in the early innings of in terms of uh, rental inflation. Is it fair to say that uh, this is a better measurement of inflation than uh, than the CPI? No, no. I mean, so neither is a perfectly good measurement of inflation, right? Okay. I mean, inflation is closer, eight percent or twenty-five. No CPI, because at least CPI is a broader basket, right? It's assuming. <laughs> it's assuming. So, which one's closer 33% to three percent? Sorry, sorry. Shelter. <laughs> let me let me let me uh, let me let me let me answer this appropriately. That's a good question. That's a good question. So, uh, housing price inflation today is probably more reflective of where the level of price changes in the economy than CPI, but CPI generally is a better basket to represent. Price changes in the economy. Okay, so over the long term, CPI yes. is better. Right now, yeah. housing. <laughs> right now, you especially down here. I mean, That's a good all, answer. Yeah. Yeah. Especially down here. I mean, it feels like there's 50 percent inflation down here. Like uh, it's, cre- <laughs> crema. 
they just jacked up uh, again? again another quarters 525 now for a large iced coffee it's outrageous when we moved here it was like 375 yeah how's no, that yeah. happen how much is it now i can't afford my pastries man this is <laughs> yeah. getting ridiculous yeah, yeah i mean look by the way like i'll pay them six dollars if they want for the iced coffee some people are like i'm gonna complain about the gasoline you're that i gotta get, put in my you're, car you're about to get personal prices, prices went up we don't need cbdc's for them Ice coffee, like yeah. shit. Okay, yeah, no, <laughs> need my gasoline to get going. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's the that's the issue with inflation, right? It's like it's personalized. Everyone in this room can afford a six dollar or ten dollar iced coffee. Although I probably I probably stop myself out at ten dollars. I'm just I'm, yeah, I'm like, over. Like I'm just, I don't need ten dollars. I'm grabbing some tap water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll no, just eat the coffee yeah. beans. I'll just buy Bingo. <laughs> pull, pull the hose out. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'll need that. If you get if you get to nine dollars and ninety nine cents, you got me. You cross uh, the ten just on principle alone. Yeah. I'm out. Joe and John like grinding coffee beans. But I do think this idea of like how do you measure inflation right now and yeah. it's like okay i'm not going to go as far as to say i believe inflation right now is 25 percent in america yeah. but i sure as hell don't think it's eight percent i yeah. think it's double digits is it 12 percent or 20 well, i told you it is it's already double digits it's like, definitely 10 percent minimally it's but that's what i'm saying so yeah. like like when you start to look at what it, how to measure it like yeah. We're in the teens, so, at least. So how we measure it, um, at least throughout the pandemic, because you know there's been so much variance with respect to the COVID waves, it's been difficult uh, to measure things in a year of your base, or not difficult. It's been stupid. You know, it's not a true representation of what's happening. So we've been measuring all, you know, mostly hard economic statistics on a month-on-month or three-month annualized percentage change basis. You know, which is you know similar to uh, year over year, but just looking at it month-on-month or three-month-on-three-month. Inflation on a month-on-month annualized basis headline is ten percent already, so we are having double-digit inflation. It just hasn't caught up to the year-over-year. It will catch up to the year-over-year statistics. Will catch up to the uh, annualized momentum. That that's what happens in the time series. And so, yeah, we do have double-digit inflation in this country, and it's probably being underreported. For being honest, the March inflation report. Oh, where we? I was at eight five. Eight five. It's coming are you out sticking on with that Tuesday, April twelfth. Yep, yep. And this is before Bloomberg consensus hasn't even put out their forecast yet. I think they'll do that tomorrow. But you think eight five? Eight five. Got eight five on the way at ten. What did I say? Eight three. Eight, I don't remember. It was just below you. I think we'll go to the tape. Yeah. But I, I may go up I, now. I, I, I was, no, 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 no. I, <laughs> no here's no, why you I, should go I, up. I, I actually. Yo, you think you should, you you should go? Up. I think I think nine's probably closer to the reality after seeing the European inflation data. So in the last two days, we got. Uh, Spanish, German, French, and Italian preliminary March CPI data. Um, they were all pretty high. So Spanish was like 9.8. German was 7.6. France, 5.1. And Italy, 7%. All but Italy. Like Germany was like 100 basis points north of the estimate. Spanish was over 100 basis points north of the estimate. France was like 30 or 40 basis points north of the estimate. How much of that is because of energy, given that they're so dependent on uh, Russian energy and natural gas uh, versus the U.S. has some differences? Or do you think it's pretty much across the board? The no, same? it's going to be across the board. We're going to okay. feel the same energy price shock as they felt. And so the, the point I'm making is that inflation, ex- the, the reported data blew the expectations out of the yep. water. Even though everybody on earth knew we were going to have a big exurge in inflation in March and we, the economists still were too low on it. And so I think did the probability that we get, we get a, a 10 print was, um, I don't think so, how much but do you it could. Think, how much do you think the inflation this month will be affected by, hey, we've seen price raises over the last year. So you can't raise that much year over year over year on a percent basis. Yeah. The what compounding you, effect. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the, last year inflation wasn't that well, high. Well, we didn't yet, get it right? until a couple yeah, more months, yeah, right? So, I think it was like June was when we started getting so into fives. So March, yeah. So, so April, the April data was where the, 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 the uh, sorry, the, the sequential momentum really accelerated. And so April will be the first month where base effects really kick in. But again, it's that's a moot point. I think economists are being, a, they're being disingenuous right now. We keep talking, not we, economists, particularly at the Fed, continue to say base effects going to, you know, base effects, base effects, you're going to bring down inflation, base is going to be down inflation. And that's true. That's accurate. But the problem isn't the level of year over year inflation. The problem is the fact that inflation Price. continues to accelerate. <laughs> Price increases continue to go higher. Yeah, so eventually when those base effects wear off, you're still going to be at like 10%. Well, your point is like if you grow 5% year over year and then you grow 4% the year over year from that, you shouldn't celebrate. You should be like, why the hell is it still going up 4% after we went up 5% the year before Bingo. that? Yeah. And yeah, we're yeah. actually, we're not even, so what you just said is accurate. And what I'm saying is what's actually happening is we grew 5% year <laughs> over year and we are now growing six sequentially. So the expectation that we're going to four next year is ridiculous. We're actually on our way to six, you know, the, the, not using you, those particular do numbers. That, do you think we hit 10% at all in the United States? So again, we are at 10% sequentially. <laughs> we'll get to 10% year over year. We only have one month to do it because by the time we get to April, um, the year over year numbers are going to start to come down. And so that's a problem for- that, that You sound yeah. pessimistic. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. a big jump from eight to 10, right? Yeah. In, so in, if, it ha if it happens, it has to happen in March is what I'm yeah. saying. The probability that it happens in April is much lower because the base effects accelerate so, so quickly in, in April. So- that's um, I don't know. I, I, again, we're a long ways away from 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 anything that get the Fed off of what it's doing, which means we're a long ways away from getting back to a more positive market dynamic. I think it's 50 50. We hit 10 percent. Ooh, OK. OK. I don't I, I don't know. If this was a sports book, that would not be the odds. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm going to caveat. I'm going to caveat, though, which is. The 50. 50 breakdown is I don't think it hits it in March. Uh -huh. I think we probably come, uh, I do think that there's a higher probability of breaking nine than most people are assigning yeah, to. It's like 9.1, 9.2. So after this range. data, I would agree. Yeah. Now. Uh -huh. So 10, the only reason why I probably put higher odds on it is I'm not convinced that fertilizers, natural mm. gas, oil, like all those issues. Like I think people are like, Oh, it peaked. There's not gonna be any more problems. Right. Or like we saw the worst of it, but like, I don't think we quite understand if fertilizer prices really do spike how it looks like they are. It looks like we're not going to get a lot of the Ukraine and Russia wheat out of there. Yeah. And so you start to add this complex, like there's too much global chaos. And what I'm assigning more probability to than I think other people is that the Fed and politicians don't know how to solve these problems from a first principle standpoint. The yeah. only thing they know how to do is spend money. And so if gasoline prices stay above five, six dollars in the United States, they're going to hand out gas cards. Mm -hmm. If food all of a sudden becomes a huge uh, issue, they're going to start to do all sorts of things that create more inflation. 100%. So stupid. And so if you do that, even though there's the base effect, there's a shot. Again, I say 50-50 because I don't know, but it's just like there's a structural thing underway, which their response, unfortunately, is going to be step in, spend, gas cards, like all this shit. And like, just how inflationary, I, I don't know, but they spent trillions yeah. and we got to 8% so far. Like the next bill, what are they going to do? 5 trillion, 7 trillion. Like these guys are just going to go bigger and bigger and bigger. So I'll, I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit because I right. agree with that's where we're going, but the, the process to getting there is nonlinear because okay. you need, 
60 votes in the Senate to change uh, tax and spending law. Mm-hmm. And so obviously, you know, Democrats have the narrowest majority ever in the House and Senate, uh, 50-50 with Kamala Harris being the tying vote. They're not going to be able to change tax and spending law, particularly ahead of a midterm election. The Republicans aren't going to go for that. Republicans aren't going to do anything that makes the Democrats, you know, help, helps the Democrats. Uh, You're assuming way. that there's a difference between those two parties. Uh, there's a difference heading into a midterm election, but there's not a difference in terms of their, <laughs> their policies. I've been, by the way, I've been saying that for years. True. I'm going to go on a rant right now. I've said this for years. Going back to 2017, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. When I saw that legislation, I said, wow, so it looks like the Republican Party b- prefers blowing holes in a deficit this way. The Democrat Party prefers blowing <laughs> holes in a deficit that way. Correct. But it looks like both parties love blowing holes in the deficit. There's Correct. no difference between two parties. Fiscal anymore. There was when I when I first started in Wall Street, Paul Ryan and 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 Ron Paul's guys. You know, there was a real faction that the Tea Party was was legitimate. There was no more Tea Party. Yeah. There's just Spend. blow hole with tax cuts, blow hole with spending. But guess what? You're just digging a deeper and deeper hole. So rant over. <laughs> no, but I, I think that this is the whole thing. Is there? There's more of an appetite now to spend tax cut like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't see a world where, regardless of what the Fed does. The Fed is not just fighting inflation. The Fed is fighting politicians. Yeah. And the politician, I mean, we've already seen it. They did the press conference yesterday. They're AOC. like, we need more money. <laughs> and the price guy's like, what do you mean? You had trillions. Where'd it go? Did you see AOC's comments about price controls? No. No. Oh my God. This is like, where do you get these people from? Like, just pick up a book and read two pages of a book about how bad what, price what did, controls are. What did are. she say just generally? Well, she was just like, like, this is where we got to go. We got we to do something about inflation. So price controls you, is the you next step. You know what's step. funny about that? Yeah. On December 29th of 2021, I wrote a piece that said, price gouging, price controls, and inflation. Mm. Ooh, and right. I basically said that uh, this is exactly what uh, they were going to do. And I, uh, the exact quote was, the United States is experiencing nearly 7% inflation, and we see our politicians calling out various industries from beef producers to grocery stores in regards to alleged price gouging. Mm-hmm. If history serves as a guide, it is unlikely that the corporations are actually price gouging. It's much more likely that their labor and material costs have drastically increased. And then I basically started to talk about Turkey, and I think I talked about Argentina in here, if I remember as well. Uh, but what I basically said is, uh, if you're going to continue to accuse grocery stores of price gouging, uh, including things like Kroger with a 3% profit margin, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden we may be talking about some issues. And so instead what we need to do is we need to prevent against this. And my whole idea was uh, you better be very careful because the price controls, they're going to try to implement them They destroy them in the, the productive capacity of the economy and it makes yeah. the inflation problem way worse over the longer term. Yeah. This is how we got to the 70s. This is part. The 70s was price controls and unionized labor. We don't have as much unionized labor anymore, but I think we have a form of unionized labor in the sense that the uh, the total number of job openings right now is 1.7 times the total number of unemployed workers, which means workers right now have as much bargaining power as they ever had, which is effectively a union, right? They're not unionized, but in terms of worker bargaining power for wages, it's as high as it's ever been. You're seeing you know, the turnover in jobs is as high as it's been, the quits rate. Uh, right now, in terms of private sector quits rates at 3.2%, that's 20 basis points off an all-time high. So people are actively moving jobs, looking for higher wages at a rate that's never been seen before. So it feels like we have unionized labor. And obviously, if we do anything that looks like price controls, this thing's going to get way, way, way worse. And the problem with this situation is that there's smart people in a room like ours, and there's plenty of smart people in plenty of rooms across the country and across the world that can see this slow motion train wreck. But the problem is they're not communicating or they don't have avenues to communicate to these buffoons like AOC and Senator Warren. And I, and I mean buffoons because this is ridiculous. 
They don't understand economics. It's no, okay. Where, where can people go to 42 Macro? Oh, uh, 42 Macro.com. Go check us out. I'm at uh, 42 Macro D Dale on Twitter. We got Bitcoin conference next weekend. So come ready? down here, have some drinks with us. <laughs> Let's have some fun. Yeah, yeah man. All I'll right, see you guys buddy. next week. Thank you so Thank much. You, appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.